Welcome to the Inner Ray Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss how relationships are the most meaningful part of life. Join us every week to hear inspiring stories of people living through their inner ray. We invite you to find the radiant, authentic energy that lives inside you to make your life and relationships easier. Hello, hello. I am so overjoyed for today's episode. Um, so for starters, I'm Erin Watt, and I'm your host today for the Inner Ray podcast. Uh, Katie's on vacation. She will be back soon. Um, so today, I'm going to be interviewing Robin Breckenridge, who is like one of my favorite humans. I know I say that a lot, but that's because so far I've had my favorite humans on this podcast. Um, Robin is a life and relationship coach and um, I'll let her say hello. Hello. And I'm so honored to be on your list of favorite people because you are on my list of favorite people. And I have been so excited for all things in array in this podcast. So to be a guest on it is like a dream come true. So thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. Well, I, that's beautiful because I was about to tell our audience kind of our story about how we met and how we know each other. And it would be a very long story if I told all of it. Um, but I will say simply that Robin and I met um, in a previous work environment. And in that work environment, I always felt that Robin really embodied the work in a way that was very real, um, very, very authentic, very heart-centered, which was not necessarily the vibration or the, the way that everyone at that organization operated. So I say that to say um, Robin and I have been on a lot of ups and downs together over the years. And um, having her on this podcast, I know that um, I know that you guys that are listening are going to get so much out of today's conversation. Um, Robin is one of the most passionate advocates for people to raise their vibration, live from their heart, um, be authentic, be themselves. And, um, you know, anytime someone reaches out to me for coaching and they're not a good fit for any reason, whether it be my availability or, or whatever, Robin is automatically the first person I think of because I know and trust her approach. I trust her heart. I trust her integrity. I trust her ethics. And um, yeah, she's just a fabulous human. Um, so all of that being said, today, we're going to be talking about Robin and her inner radiant, authentic energy. Um, so Robin, to, to start off the conversation, I would love to hear from you. Um, what, how would you define or how would you, how do you want to share with the audience what inner radiant, authentic energy means to you and how you align and cultivate that in your personal life, in your professional life as a mom, like however you want to take this question, I would just love to hear your thoughts on that. Sure. Okay. Well, first of all, I'm going to be listening back to this episode whenever I have a bad day, because that was so nice, everything that you said. And I'm just so appreciative for you seeing me in that light, in that capacity. And I'm so grateful for our journey. And again, that we're here today. So 
To answer that question, I think it's such a complicated question because I could answer it just kind of surfacely, but I think I'd have to go back in my story to where authenticity seemed like a very foreign concept to me because I really didn't know who I was. And I don't think I was uh, really operating from a true authentic center in myself because I really didn't have that connection with myself. So, you know, I've been a spiritual person for a very long time. And I was lucky that I had a parent that brought that into my life at an early age, not necessarily from like an organized religion standpoint, but more of like the spiritual lens. So, I had a lot of that and that helped, but my relationship with myself just kind of brought me down some paths, uh, especially through my behavior where I don't feel like I was, you know, bringing a lot of um, self-respect and self-esteem into my life, which kind of brought, like, just kind of brought me into some cycles. So I think that probably where my journey towards my inner race started was maybe at my bottom in life <laughs> where... The universe saw me or showed me this beautiful contrast of like who I didn't want to be anymore and how I could not operate anymore. And um, and you know, you're a part of that journey for me, Erin. You you held your light was such a guide for me. But uh being able to really connect with myself, get to know myself, learn how to trust myself, um, was probably the start of feeling like I was in my inner light, in my inner ray. So um, I love the work of Terry Real, and I and I have learned a lot about his concept around power dynamics and that that intrinsic worth piece. That like nothing, you know, if our worth is internal, nothing could be added or subtracted from that. And I think that living from that space has allowed me to really step into my light, AKA my power to do things that were motivated more from an intrinsic perspective than like, is this going to get me more clients or am I going to become famous from this or something like that? And, and I will tell you that my take on this is that from, from operating from that place of like trust and love, magic has happened in my life in a capacity that honestly exceeded any dream or expectation that I could have ever had for myself. And, and the craziest thing about it is that most of it came from connecting with the parts of me that I hid the most from people. Mm. You know, like that, that was where a lot of my radiance and a lot of my light and inner ray was, but because there it was convoluted with so much shame, I hid it. And, and when, again, I'm going to give you a lot of credit in this, Erin, like knowing you and some of the things that you brought into my life and being able to, to step into the courage of, of showing people that side of me or connecting with people from that side of me, I think that's what's launched me forward the most. Now, within reason, I wouldn't bring some things that had shame or vulnerability to just anybody, but in the line of work that I do, like... I'm connecting with the parts of me that I hid to be an empathetic witness for other people that are in the same situation. And that, that type of service has improved my life in a way that I didn't ever imagine. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, so beautiful what you're saying. And it leads me into a question that I'm wondering if you feel comfortable sharing this with our audience. Um, yeah maybe like one story about what it was like before, during, and after of something that you were hiding, like maybe one story in the last 
it doesn't have to be a recent story, but something where you were like, oh my gosh, there's no way I can share this. And then you went out on a limb and shared it. Like what was the discernment process about like who you picked to share it with? And then what was the result of doing that? Do you do you have a story like that you'd feel comfortable sharing? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I have like a specific example, but I do think that um, I was just listening to someone talking about the word alienation. Like when you alienate from people, you actually feel like there's an alien part of you, like that you there's this like this you know, this part that's wrong. And I, I could really identify with that. Like I felt so many of the ways that I was protecting myself um, made me alien-like. And um, I, I live in Michigan. Um, I know where we connected was was in California and in, in the, the system and the process that we worked for before. Um, and at least I'm, I'm not going to generalize everyone in Michigan because that's not true. But at my in my experience, when I was younger, like people weren't talking about these type of things. These were the things you you hid. So when I met you, when I was intro- introduced to some different types of communities, like 12 step community. And I love like Glennon Doyle Melton talks about the first time she walked into an AA room. And she says like, it was the first time she ever saw a group of people tell the truth. And she was like, why can't we do this other places than like these rooms in the basement of churches where we like run out and we can't know each other outside of them. I think that um, just being introduced to communities that were telling the truth Mm. and being able to see other people tell their truth allowed me the space to be able to take the risk to tell my truth, to, to show those alien parts of me that were actually very human parts of me that were in survival mode and lots of other people are in them. It allowed me to tell the truth. And then I started bringing that into my life or integrating into my life kind of slowly. Like at first I might talk about it at a, at a table out to eat with some friends that I would normally never take that risk to do. Then I started seeing some things on, you know, socials or Instagram and going, well, gosh, that really resonated with me. Maybe I could repost it. And there was a fear around that. Cause like, sometimes when you start posting these things, people are like, Oh, is this girl in a breakdown or what? Or, you know, <laughs> you might receive some judgment. And then I started to receive feedback where people would write me and go, wow, the things you're reposting on Instagram are giving me life or, you know, have, have helped me so much. And then stepping into taking the risk because I was a teacher before and I taught emotionally impaired kids and teens and then stepping into the arena of coaching, which was a really big risk for me and, and starting to tell the truth there so that other people could tell the truth. It just became, you know, it was, it's like this contagious thing of like when someone steps into their authenticity or their truth, it allows the space for someone else to. So I, I don't know that I can give you a specific example, but to me, that was the, the more like high level version of first, I had to hear someone else tell their truth. Mm. Then I got to tell the truth to myself. Gosh, maybe you're not an alien. Maybe you're just hurting. Maybe you just, um, this is the best you have to manage this problem right now. And there's other solutions out there. And then it allowed me to start telling my truth to other people. And then sharing that truth. And, you know, Aaron, I know, like, you know me personally, but I pinched myself to think of how many people I've worked with professionally at this point. I, I have to be upwards in the hundreds and hundreds of people. 
And then the reach that that's had to other people, like, I think I've helped thousands of people by taking that risk to tell myself the truth and be seen by somebody else. I love that. And I what you're reminding me of is I remember when I first got sober and the amount of energy that I put into hiding or managing or controlling my relationship with alcohol, even down to like, oh my gosh, where's my purse or my car the next day? But like, but even bigger things like trying to keep stories straight and trying to keep versions of myself um, because I really lived in like multiple, I had a couple different like circles that I ran in where I was a very different person in all of them. And then after I got sober, it felt like not only did I have all this free time not being like drunk or hungover, it was also like all this energy I was putting into the curation of the versions of myself. And then I got into codependency recovery and then I got into ACOA recovery and it just continued. And and what I was left with was just like all this extra energy to just like be myself. And I, I feel like that's also what I'm hearing and what you're describing. Absolutely. And and it was all that work <clears throat> to be versions of me or hide parts of me ended up really not being very purpose driven. It kept me in those wounded parts of me. And even though, you know, it's really scary to step into your authenticity and really tell yourself the truth about who you are and what your limitations are. That ended up opening all the doors and that ended up allowing me to take the blocks that were blocking my light from shining out into the world. And I do think that ultimately the universe really wants us to be the most fully expressed version of ourselves, And I think that comes with a lot of um, things that might require you to step into some uncomfortable experiences and feelings but along the way you collect this evidence that like you can do it, you know, that you can, you can do these hard things and you can manage some of these experiences. And then you start to live this expansive, bigger version of you. And, you know, I say these things to people and I'm very aware that like, a, you know, 15 years ago version of me would have thought this was some BS mm-hmm. <laughs> or not that it was necessarily all BS. Like, but it, it was for other people, not me. Yeah. Because, you know, my defectiveness was just too much. Oh, 100%. And, you know, what this conversation is also making me think about is something that I say a lot. I know you probably say this or a version of this, which is that if energy is neither created nor destroyed, right? It's a lot of what we're looking at is about energy. And I think about how much you help people with anxious attachment and a couple episodes ago, I was talking about this idea that if you're anxiously attached to a person, place, or thing, it is you're probably avoidantly attached somewhere else, right? Because you only have so much energy. And so thinking about this concept of authenticity, what I'm wondering is, could we talk a little bit about both your personal journey or your journey with supporting people with anxious attachment and, and the ways that you have helped them um, maybe redirect or guide that energy from, from being this anxious attachment to maybe like purpose-driven, securely attached. Just what's your experience with that? And, and if you see the connection that I'm trying to draw here. Yeah. Let, let me, let me, you know, you can redirect me if I'm not answering it. And, yeah. and 
before, but ooh, I mean, my anxious attachment wound was rough. And honestly, it was a part of me that I hit, that I wanted to hide. I didn't want anybody to really know about, but I also had zero control over. And it was like just a super highway to take me out of my integrity because the truth is to get out of uh, disregard, rejection for me, uh, I would do it at any cost to myself. There was really no um, emotional safety or protection on board at all. So I think that the first place to start is just awareness, awareness that like we can abandon ourselves to that capacity um, and that we can prioritize, you know, I, I'm using connection in air quotes because a lot of times when we're in those attachments, we're not really connecting anyways, but that we, we, we would protect, we would prioritize the connection over our authenticity, over our personal safety. I didn't even know that was happening. I just needed to get out of the feeling that honestly was a level 10 emotional death type of feeling for me. So I think that the awareness is the first start. And then and what happened while I healed my anxious attachment wound, because it really did feel like a curse. And there were times very early on in that process for me where I actually was pretty jealous and judgmental of people that I thought were a little more avoidant. Cause I was like, these mother effers get off scot-free. <laughs> they don't even have to feel, they don't care. Well, that's not true. Right. But that was my perspective at the time. But I really thought like, I've got this curse. And I think that with any trauma or attachment wounding, realistically, it's a reoccurring condition. Like we're not going to just get rid of it. We have to learn how to live with it. But with the anxious, I shifted it through my own kind of experiential knowledge of living it from it being a curse to it being a gift. And the gift being that anytime it's up, it's an alarm. Mm. It's an alarm to let me know that rejection, abandonment, or neglect is in my energy field. And not that it is to blame anybody else or become a victim because that's the old patterning, but to shift from disempowerment to empowerment and use the tools I have. Like I could have a boundary. I could protect myself here. Is there adjustments around the, you know, with the people that I'm around? Maybe I didn't even, I wasn't even aware I didn't feel safe around these people. Mm-hmm. And so, and it's kind of the disclaimer I give my clients in the beginning of our work, if they have, you know, if they're highly anxious, that that probably sounds like BS again to them, like, oh, okay, sure. But down the road, they'll get that, like, your nervous system never, ever, ever lies to you. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. You might want to argue with it. You might want to bargain with it. You might go, but th- that person's super nice. And, you know, this was the joke I had that like my, my saying on my tombstone would be, but they had a good heart. Yeah. <laughs> because that would be my, my little, my, my little person inside of me that has this, this huge capacity for love and forgiveness would just be like, but they have a good heart. Well, a lot of people have a good heart and, and they don't, they're not, you know, ill-intended, but they're not safe me or my attachment system or my nervous system. So now I really value my anxious attachment responses because I feel like they're an alert or an alarm from this loving part of me that really wants me to live in alignment and in my authenticity. Yes. Yes. You, you did beautifully. This is exactly where I was going with this, right? Because 
I think so often anxious attachment can feel like a curse, exactly like what you're saying. But but it's kind of like, so I have a long history with migraines and I could sit here and tell you all the ways that migraines have ruined my life, have um, taken me out, all, all of the things, right? Um, but for me, now that I have a different relationship with it and um, understand them, it's an alarm bell. It's an alarm bell that something is off and there's some part of me that is out of alignment. And, and so really what, what the anxious attachment, you know, alarm system, or in my example, by the way, I also have anxious attachment. I just also, I, I identify a little bit more with switching the different attachment styles. Um, but the migraines, right, are an alarm system. Hey, there's something in your integrity that's out of alignment. Anger, same thing, right? So when a client is angry and they're, they're telling me about their anger, I'm like, okay, but what is the gift of the anger? What is the gift of the resentment? It's information about a boundary that either you didn't know that you needed or that someone has crossed in spite of the fact that you said it. And so therefore the boundary needs to change if someone is crossing it. And um, so I guess I bring this all back to that inner radiance that when our nervous system, when our immune system, you know, when our emotional system is giving us this information, it's all leading us back to ourselves and our inner radiant authentic energy. And I think um, what I would love to hear next from you is what are the ways that you cultivate a, like knowing what it's like to be in your inner radiance, like knowing what it's like to be aligned, like daily practices, as opposed to like when the alarm bells are going off, like what are the things that you do to cultivate that relationship with self such that when the anxious attachment wound, or in my case, when the migraine comes along, I have the tools, I have the ability to say, oh, wow, I'm out of alignment instead of like what you know, my ego or my lower mind wants to do, which is like blame the other, right? Like, what are the ways that you access and nurture that inner radiance? Yeah, I think, you know, I've, I've kind of changed my languaging from self-care to self-connection. Mm. I think there's a different sometimes like, I mean, whatever, it's semantics of words, and it can mean different things to different people. But I think self-care, a lot of times when we talk about it, it's perceived as like, a massage or getting your nails done or, um, you know, treat yourself type of stuff. But to me, it's, it's the self-connection piece. Like I can't be in my authenticity and in my inner radiance if I'm not in connection with me. And then, you know, I know you and I help people and most of the time they come to us for relationships outside of them. And basically all the work we do is mirroring back what it's bringing up inside of them so that they can continue this evolutionary process of getting to know themselves in a deeper capacity. So I was just talking with a client the other day, um, we were talking about uh, similar things that you and I both teach our clients around kind of like foundational self connection or self care practices. And, you know, I've been doing this now for like a long time. And, and thank you so much in the intro, you know, for for saying that I live and breathe it and really embody it. And I really do. I really embody everything I teach. And I was telling them that like, if I don't write out my self connection goals, which is in six different areas of 
of focus that, that I feel like gives me a foundational place to re-enter my relationship back with myself. Um, if I don't write them down every day, I will not do them. And I get paid to teach people this. Uh, you know, I have a very full client base. So I literally do this all day, almost every day, minus the weekends. My default setting in me is so deeply ingrained in neglect mm -hmm. that I am now aware. I don't have to judge myself for it. I just have to own my own limitations in this life that if I am not intentional about it, it will not happen. Same. <laughs> for me to take care of my family, to take care of everybody else. And, you know, in the line of work we're in, we're in a in the, the business of service, I can go lose myself in a million different places. So one thing that I do to make sure that I, that I stay in alignment with myself, meaning that I can hear my inner knowing, my voice, my inner guidance um, is the self-care practice. So I just have a little morning practice that literally takes me maybe three, four minutes at a max. And I just write out, what's my personal goal for the day? What am I grateful for that day? And then I, I went into an I am statement just to like stand in a place of power of like, not a bargain with this shit anymore. I am powerful. I am beautiful. Like just some sort of very powerful statement. And then I, I set a goal in six different areas, an emotional area, a physical, an intellectual, a spiritual, a social, a financial. And, and those can be very small goals and I have a little bit of a perfectionist on board. So there was a little bit of a process when I first started setting those goals, or if I didn't get to them, I would have a little bit of like some personal judgment. And I started just going, oh, okay, cool. I didn't get to those two. I'll put them on the list for tomorrow. So just kind of approaching them with a lot of grace, because I don't think it's a realistic expectation to think we're going to have a straight line of self-care all the time. Life just doesn't work that way, right? So I do that. And then I just write a very simple to-do list that I break down into a task and a project because I've had ADHD my whole life. And I was wondering why I would put these tasks on my to-do list and like something simple, like cleaning my closet. And it would stay on that to-do list for sometimes <laughs> up to six months. And then I would be like, girl, what is going on? And I, I, I heard this really amazing kind of reframe of it that, that works for ADHD and then, of course, can work for other people, which is that there's a very big difference between a task and a project. A task is a one and done, and a project is comprised of multiple tasks. So when I looked at my closet, which seemed like a one and done, it wasn't. I had to go through my closet and get rid of things. I had to do the dreaded get it in a garbage bag to my car and then to the Goodwill, which in itself is a project for me. I had to reorganize. I had to vacuum. I had to do all these things. So I realized no wonder I'm looking at this with a ton of overwhelm because I'm looking at it with an unrealistic expectation. So I break my tasks into what is a one and done and then what is a project and I write out the tasks and then it's much easier to kind of cross one off. That really helps me stay connected to me. Um, the other thing I think that probably is my, well, I guess the two things that are maybe my flotation device and staying in my highest, healthiest self are an active practice of boundaries. And I always tell people when I, when I teach it, when I do workshops, like, you know, cause now people say, I'm sure they say the same thing to you. Like, 
Robin's an expert in boundaries and I like die laughing. And I always tell people, I am not an expert in boundaries. I'm really bad at boundaries. I'm so bad at boundaries that I had to practice it so much. I became an expert. Same. (laughs) So much effort and work. And so to this day, you know, there's just a lot where like, whenever I find myself there doing this to me, or I can't believe this is happening to me again, now I'm able to have the awareness to go, all right, sweetheart, where do we need to tighten up our boundaries? Because ultimately you're the one in power here. Mm -hmm. So boundaries. And then the other piece, which I think I can never, ever, 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 ever underestimate is being in connection with my inner child. How I talk to that part of myself, checking in with that part of myself, um, I carry a lot of anxiety in my body uh, just naturally. So sometimes I'll wake up in the morning and I'll just have this overwhelming feeling or this dread or this fear. And, you know, I might look at that from a different lens of like, oh, I've done all this work and it's not going away. But now I have this voice that comes in that goes, all right, Rob, I got you, girl. What are you worried about? Oh, we got a whole full day. I'm not done till eight o'clock. I'll go, all right, let me help you structure this. And all of a sudden, life just becomes more manageable. So it's like just a simple technique. And I know it's it's a learned skill, Erin. I don't want to oversell that, that like I I had to do a lot of trauma work. I had to go inward. And But it's when I neglect any one of those things that I step out of my secure attachment system into my trauma responses or my attachment responses. And typically, um, I have to kind of dig myself out of those. Oh my gosh. That was like, I, now I feel like I need to re-listen to the episode and like come up with some new daily tasks. Cause that was beautiful. Like I, I loved, so first of all, the first thing you described um, for our audience, uh, Robin and I sometimes use similar and a little bit different language, but she was describing um, in the inner ray curriculum, it's called considering all dimensions and using that as a daily check-in tool, which is beautiful. And I love that. I think that that is so valuable. I think, you know, I call myself a holistic relationship coach for that reason, because it's so easy. It takes it back to what you were talking about before the like ability to hide, like I can hide from myself. And it's, I, I think the number, the two places I hide from myself most often are my physical life and my financial life. So just by going through all of the dimensions and bringing focus to them daily, it, it's just such a beautiful way to bring balance back in and to also just be personally accountable for all those areas of my life and how that's impacting my ability to be regulated and show up in the world. So love that tool. Um, The second thing, because I don't, I will be honest, I don't identify as having ADHD, but I literally wrote down what you said, like separating out tasks and projects because, you know, I've been, it's funny because I've spent a lot of my time, a lot of my life overworking and because I've been overworking, my system has been adrenalized. And when I'm adrenalized, I can get a lot done. But now that I'm living this more balanced, peaceful life, I'm kind of finding myself going like, well, how do I get stuff done when I have enough time to do stuff? I know that sounds like a weird 
way to think about it. But what you just described, I'm literally going to start practicing that today. (laughs) It's been really helpful. But Erin, I totally really, I mean, thank you for saying that about hiding from yourself, because I think that system is a way to keep you accountable from doing that. Because, you know, the avoidant type of um, tendencies, they're sneaky. Mm, Yeah. The anxious ones can be a little louder. I mean, they can be sneaky too, but, um, but I have found that it is hard to be motivated sometimes when you're not in a survival mode or when you're not Mm -hmm. in a ton of um, neglect or uh, restriction, you know? Um, And that's a new thing too. It's like, wow, things are pretty good, but yet how do I integrate my passion back into this? Because for me, it was so motivated by fear. Oh, so, so much. And, and that's where fear can sometimes be so beautiful. And I can like move mountains when I'm going through something traumatic, but it's like, now I'm, I'm trying to adapt to what would it be like to have like a peaceful, calm life and still be productive. Right. And, and I think I'm doing better than I, than I have ever before, but I just love that really concrete tool, man. You're a good coach. (laughs) Yeah. I learned Um, from So bring up a great point that I did not know until I had lived a little bit in my authenticity, which was the feeling of, of peace, P-E-A-C-E. I heard about it. I thought I had it from time to time. The truth is I had highs that were followed by lows and then I'd get out of the low and I'd get back in the high and I thought that was peace. I really didn't uh, experience peace until I experienced value in myself and some level of self love. Um, and, and honestly, the self love had to come through my actions. So just those setting those goals are just six ways to be in the energy of love towards yourself. But when I did start to feel what inner peace felt like, it was a profound experience because that feeling ended up having the highest energetic currency of anything I've ever felt in my life. Then I wanted to protect that. I wanted to grow that. It was easier to step into boundaries to say no to things that compromised me feeling that way. And as simple as like, I mean, again, with the ADHD thing, and I can blame it on a million things, like I lived such a packed life that I would be like going from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. And I would watch one day I had the awareness to kind of observe myself. And I was like white knuckling it from one appointment to the next. And I... This was like, this sounds so silly, but it was profound for me. I remember going, this doesn't feel peaceful and I want to grow more peace. And I went, what if I gave myself 15 minutes in between when I, like my next appointment, Mm. it never occurred to me ever. It was just survival mode of like, fit it all in, get it all in, do all the things, go, 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 go. And just that little adjustment allowed me to have a little more peace in my in my energy field. I love that so much. I mean, I literally had to do that this morning. I had an appointment that was ending at like 9.50, and then a call that started at 10. And it was with my accountant. So I was like anxious about these questions I had to ask. So I emailed them and I said, hey, could we start at 10 after? It would just give me a moment 
to collect myself. And then when I got when I got on that 10 o'clock call that was starting at 1010, I had such a different experience with this thing that I knew was already going to give me anxiety because we're talking about taxes. I mean, I mean, hello, who's not anxious talking about taxes? Um, and so just giving myself that little bit of space, like I definitely understand what you mean when you say like, I didn't even know that was an option. Did not even know. It's like, I didn't know I could say no to people. I didn't know I could change my mind. I didn't know I could ask for 10 minutes. I didn't know that, you know, I could, um, I don't know, incorporate, hey, I need a lunch break here. Or, hey, I need to go get, is, is it okay if we stop for a moment? I need to go get some water right? It's just stuff like that, that, and I also come from that severe neglect background. And it's amazing the things that the basic needs like, oh, wait, can we actually we're on a road trip? Can we stop because I have to go to the bathroom? Like, just stuff like that. Like, I just did not know it was okay to ask for those things. I didn't either my my physical child brought in that perspective for me because I started to get busy with work. And I would find that like, I didn't eat until 7pm. And then I was like, starving. And then I'd be like, Taco Bell sounds like a great option again. Or, you know, not that there's anything wrong with Taco Bell, but it wasn't like the healthiest choice, right? And then I would think about it, I go, all right, would I not feed my child until 7pm? Okay, and if I did do that, he'd probably get taken away from me because that's called neglect. Yeah. And so it was this great like mirror for me to go, wow, I'm not only just doing that to the adult self part of me, I'm doing that to my inner child that's already experienced some level of neglect. So that's what I want to bring in as like the last kind of thing we talk about. You brought up connecting with your inner child. And I know for me, when I first started this work, and, and it could be because the amount of neglect I had, it could be because my adaptation to my neglect was to become like a, a parentified or an adult, very, very young and very intellectual. But when I heard people, you know, talk about connecting with the inner child, I, li- I literally was like, I... I have no clue what they're talking about. So if we think about the fact that some people in our audience may be feeling that way, um, I love what you just said about if you're if you're unaware of if you're neglecting yourself, a good question is, would I treat a child that way? And so thinking about what you shared about spending time connecting with with your inner child, if you're listening and you're like, what is that? It literally can be like, do you have a child of your own? Do you have a niece or a nephew? Does someone you know have a child? And this is something I'll tell my clients. Okay, if that seven-year-old was sitting in the room with you, and they were feeling some of the negative emotions that are maybe underneath the surface with yourself right now, like, what would you do to soothe that child? Would you tell it to shut up and and go away? Or would you pour it a bath? Like, would you tell it that its feelings were stupid and invalid and inconvenient? Or would you maybe snuggle up on the couch and watch a Disney movie? So, I just want to bring that to the forefront and just say, I love that approach because I know for me, it was such a foreign concept of like what to do with an inner child. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think maybe one of my favorites too, is just really focusing on the inner dialogue to yourself, because that part of you is always with you. Right. And 
I've seen so many other people do it. I've done it to myself where I feel stuck in something or scared in something. And what I tell myself is we're completely screwed. This is never going to get better. You're never going to find anyone. And if you can imagine saying that to a scared kid, they're going to panic, right? Because there's no emotionally attuned adult on anywhere that says, hold on, hold on. Let me help you make a plan. Let me help you get into solution. So if you have a panicked inner child on board, you are most definitely going to lean into old ways of managing feelings or your anxiousness or your avoidance, right? So the way, just the way you talk to that part, and of course, Erin, like to be fair, uh, I do think it's a learned skill. So you might want to call a professional or (laughs) done the work to kind of lead you through it. But um, the way that you talk to that part of self will, will, you know, make it so much safer for you to be in your body. And and just real quick, this is like an example I give a lot of clients. Like if we were stuck in this room together and I just berated you with every, you know, sometimes we even go backwards in time. And then two years ago, when you said that stupid thing too, you know, and then I just told you every, I confirmed every fear you had. At some point, you would probably break a window to get out of this room. And that's essentially what we do in our body with that part of self is we will just get out of it through our actions or we'll get up into our head and we'll overthink. And that's not safe, right? It's like, if we can stay in the room together, AKA you can stay in your body, in your nervous system, then you become safe with yourself. Mm, Yeah. So I I often think like, of course, if, if the way I'm talking to this part of if I was talking to someone outside of me, they would leave, they would get out of here, but you can't leave yourself. You can, right? We can get well, into disassociation. <laughs> you can, but then you're you are you are disconnected from you, yeah. and ultimately, um, it's it's not the way any of us want. You know, it's it's not how we create the life we want. No, and if if having a fulfilling relational life is a goal, the relationship, my belief is, I can't have a relationship with someone else deeper than the relationship I'm having with myself. And so if I'm sitting here and I'm like, I really want to have deep, meaningful, intimate connections with people, I have to first cultivate that within myself and cultivate it with people who have that for themselves as well. Like, because if I don't know how to do it, I got to get some help, whether it be professional or mentors or people in my community who seem to have a rich relational life. Like I can't, it's okay to not know how to do those things. It's okay to get help. My one of my mantras that got me by so many times with my inner child is I just put my hand on my heart and I would just say, I'm going to help you figure this out or I'll find someone who can Mm. because my inner child often felt completely alone and emotional challenges. So that in some way, like just calmed that part. And then over time through my actions, I was consistent with myself and I showed up for myself. And that part of me started to trust that I really could help figure out and get into solution for some challenges. I love that so much and such a like good modeling and resource for yourself. Like not only am I going to help you, but I'm going to find someone that can. So I would love, I mean, honestly, we could talk for hours, but I know that we're both like, we have, we have a limit to how long this episode can go. Um, So I have kind of one final question and um, I try to ask this of all my guests so that our audience can not only learn from us, but also learn from others out in the world doing great work. Um, so this question I always ask is name someone 
in the public eye who you feel inspires you to be living in your most inner, radiant, authentic energy? I mean, there are so many people <laughs> say, but to keep this brief, um, I just finished Minka Kelly's book called Tell Me Everything. It's a memoir of her childhood. I was blown away by uh just the way she articulated the whole story. Um, she talks about her traumatic childhood, her challenging relationship with her mom who was not emotionally well and was an addict, but it's not through the lens of being a victim or disempowered. It's really about generational trauma and how we can uh, learn to love and forgive people uh, that couldn't show up for us in the way that we needed. And how we can transmute that into our own personal power as an adult. I think that it is such a great book for anybody who has a challenging relationship with their mom. Um, yep. And for anybody who has had a dysfunctional childhood. And I think that I'm really, uh, I was really proud of the fact that here's someone that, you know, could could stand in the kind of I'm different than you state of like, I'm beautiful. I'm wealthy. I'm a star. I'm known for who I date. And yet she was vulnerable enough to step into some of her shameful experiences to hold that space for other people, um, you know, to kind of mirror back that, that they don't have to be ashamed for what they've been through either, because some of the things in that book, you know, she, she speaks to that she hid from people. And those were the things she didn't want people to know. And I believe it might be what connects her the most to people. So I really suggest that. And I love anybody who's kind of stepping more into that, like being influential in people's lives, like making a difference. So I'm, I vote for Minka Kelly. On that. Oh, I love that. That is like what I call like ethical power, right? It's something that I, that I haven't talked a lot about on this podcast, but I'm really passionate about is the ethical use of your power. And, you know, when you have a platform, like, a celebrity has, you can do so much with that. And what you choose to do with that is completely your choice. And what a beautiful example. So one more time, what is the name of her book? The book is called Tell Me Everything. Mm. And um, I believe it's a New York Times bestseller. I mean, it's and it's got lots of really great reviews. I'm just giving one of them. So I, I encourage people to check it out. Okay, I am actually going to go buy that book today. So Thank you for that recommendation. Well, Robin, it was such a beautiful gift to have you shine and broadcast your inner radiance uh, through through the microphone today. And um, we will definitely be continuing this conversation on a future podcast. Um, as I close, is there anything bubbling up to the service that you want to share? Do you want to tell people like where to find you, like how to follow you, how to get more information about how you operate and work? That would be awesome. I mean, my whole main goal and purpose is to, to spread my light, my message to as many people as possible. So if anybody is interested, you can find me on Instagram. My handle is at coach with Robin. I post something every day on my stories or on my feed that is supportive content who anyone for anyone who's trying to <coughs> shine their inner radiance. Um, I do have a website. It's robinbreckenridge.com. Um, you know, that's it. Otherwise, I just I'm just sending as much light and love to everybody that found themselves in this conversation today. Mm, thank you, Robin. Well, thank you so much for 
another amazing episode. And to our audience, feel free to, um, you know, leave a review, share this episode with your friends. Um, We would love to hear from you. You can message me or message Robin with feedback or thoughts. Um, If anything we're saying you want to hear more about, please just let us know. We're so grateful that you took the time to listen. And we can't wait to talk to you next week. Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you for listening. Our mission is to empower people to live their most radiant, authentic lives. If this sounds exciting to you, join our community by subscribing to our podcast, joining our email newsletter, following us on social media, or sending us a message to find out more. We would love to hear from you. See you next week.